Wisco Dice! Welcome to Wisco Dice. Howdy folks, it's your host, Conzi with the most. We are set to record episode 69 of Wisco Dice. And on this special episode, we are joined by our, uh, my illustrious, the one and only, the Stark Raving Mad. Hey Brian, what's going on? I have no other titles. Uh, it's going good. It's summertime. Yes, it is. We also have special guest, the internet famous host of the Northern Front podcast, the one, the only, Brian Ward. How's it going, Brian? Very good. How are you guys doing? Excellent. It's Tuesday, June 14th. It's comfy, it's hot, kind of stormy outside, perfect day for podcasting and building some bolt action figures. So that's at least what I'm doing. So today we're going to go ahead and cover this game of bolt action. It's definitely something we've we've talked about on old on previous shows. Bolt action, we've kind of we've kind of given a kind of a high level overview of what the game is. But on this episode, we're gonna dig a little more into what the game is, what the future of bolt action is, what makes this game cool and why you should play it. And then on future shows, we're gonna focus and get more into tactica, gameplay. Less on the historical side of things, but more into the actual gameplay and, and what makes things great. You're starting to see uh, some pod, some po- additional posts, I think, go up on the blog as well uh, about Bolt Action. So uh, if you're interested in this game, make sure you know listen to this episode, check out what we're talking about, and then go go out onto the blog at wiscodice.com and look for Bolt Action articles and and see about and see some great uh, I think articles about how you get started with a game, what models you want to pick up, as well as other things, and then. After you're done listening to this, check out Northern Front, because uh, those guys would be happy to have you listen in about all things historical wargaming. Yeah, and our, our latest episode is gonna, is all bolt action, so there you go, episode six. Great, great segue into getting some more bolt action coverage. So uh, let's go ahead and just quick cover what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Let's just kind of hit on hobby first. Stark, uh, what, were you, what have you been doing for a hobby lately? Anything good? I think I was talking about what I was planning to get into on our last episode. Um, I was working on my men off, getting those assembled. So I finished the majority of the models I have are all that I plan to assemble at this point. I have them primed. I'm trying to work up a test model, kind of testing my paint scheme and testing how I plan to go about painting them with one of my uh, Semplar errants. That's the main thing I've been working on. I did do a little bolt-action hobby. I had gotten um, the Dodge Weapons Carrier. I had it kind of base-coated, but then I got some stowage I added to it, and then I got that all washed up. And then I, since I have that truck now, I also finished the crew for my um, my white scout car, so I put those guys in, painted them up. So that is pretty much 100% done of everything I have assembled for bolt-action, so that's pretty cool. Very cool. That's about all I've been working on. I don't remember what my progress was on my Poe Dameron X-Wing uh, last episode. I think I was still working on it, but that thing is done now. I finished it up pretty quick. It only needs a little more work, but that is done as well. So summertime, I've gotten quite a bit done. Wow, sounds like it. Yeah, you definitely kicked into hobby mode, so hopefully we'll get some blog articles out of you soon, huh? Yeah, I mentioned last episode I still want to do that kind of uh, review of my U.S. Army and kind of what I did there. Okay. And then I was going to go repaint as 
Yeah, I think that'd be a great follow-up because I just posted the article on, you know, you've bought the bolt-action starter box, the Assault on Normandy box, what do you buy next kind of article, kind of follow-up from your original article. So taking that further and what you've done with your U.S. Army would be great. All right, and Mr. Ward, what have you been up to? Anything good? I think you're doing some casting or something over there, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to do out of the Bolt Actions uh, campaign source. Well, not campaign source books, I guess. What would you call those? Theater source books almost, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they're kind of like, yeah. So out of the Ostfront book, when the uh, Germans had first attacked uh, Poland in 1939, they attacked uh, something called the Danzig, uh, city of Danzig, they had a post office there, which was like the central government building for basically Poland. They used these vehicles called the Stair ADGZs, and they were they were made by Austria, but when Germany took over Austria, they took the vehicles. And no one makes a 156 scale or 28 millimeter scale one of these. So I took it upon myself to try to. It's not my first scratch built vehicle. When I went to school as an architect, I I built a couple of models, and we had to do some casting and stuff. So I'm kind of familiar with the process, but this was a very eye opening experience. Uh, I got all three of my vehicles produced. I have like a couple things in front of me that are just being they're curing right now for uh, my headlights. But, uh, yeah, uh, I've been doing that. I am a semi-commissioned painter, and I have uh, I have 200 8th Army, British 8th Army miniatures in front of me that are almost done. And I've been cranking out some Team Yankee infantry as well, the 15 millimeters. So. Very cool. So yeah. that's definitely, you're always, like, super industrious. I keep seeing, when you if you follow Brian on anything, you, you see really quickly, he's just posting nonstop. I painted up this, I painted up that, I painted up this. It's kind of hard to keep up with. I wish I had that much free time to work on hobby, but... Uh... I'm married, I have kids. I mean, I still do it. There's like, okay, so if you ever... I mean, I'm going to give you listeners. There's some other podcasts that you can listen to for Bolt uh, uh, Action, and one of them is the uh, Ghost Army podcast, and one of the guys on there says, if you spend an hour, an hour a night, or get 10 guys done a week, you'd be surprised at how many, how much... Um, models and the miniatures you can get done over time. So that kind of, I'm kind of on that philosophy where I just, you know, I'll grab like a handful of like, oh, these aren't done yet, you know, and just crank them out. And so it looks like I do a lot, but it's actually just the same stuff that I'm just grabbing more and more of it. So That is true. I, I, I think we've talked about that too. If, you, uh, if you're finding that like half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it is a day, yeah, everybody's, everybody has, has that kind of time. If you can find that you will get stuff done. It might not be as fast as you'd like, but you will get models done. And that's, at the end of the day, uh, when you're getting ready for a tournament or looking at going to events or going down to the game store, or whatever it is you're planning on doing, having a few extra models done, uh, it's just going to make your games look better. You're going to have more enjoyable games. The whole, the whole thing kind of just goes hand in hand. So. Yep. Uh, for my own part, I have been working on a lot of modeling and assembly on the bolt action front lately. Um, so I have, uh, uh, I'm going to an event this weekend called Blood in the Sun. Uh, I go every year. It's an annual event. It's traditionally been a Warhammer fantasy event. So this year, they've opened up the event. It's good. There's uh, the Infinity sci-fi game. There's the replacement for the old Warhammer Fantasy Battles, Ninth Age, they're doing Age of Sigmar, they're doing uh, a number of different events at this event. And, and one of the things is after hours, 
they've asked uh, people that are organizers of games and stuff to come in and uh, offer to run, you know, whether demo games, board games, that kind of thing, and have they have a sign-up on their website. So if you want to play in any of these, you can. Well, I'm going to do a bolt-action demo. The game's going to be themed on the post-D-Day event since it's fair d-day is fairly close to people and i find in bolt action demo games particularly when you're dealing with people that aren't necessarily historical guys having things that are familiar like having americans on the table and and something like d-day which is you know everybody knows what that that is here uh is you know i think pretty much in the world just about it's really easy to kind of get get people kind of seeing it and involved with that intro and go oh hey i recognize those tanks i recognize the Americans and oh hey the, the, my Germans are kind of class painted in that classic German gray so it'll be classic Americans on Germans um, it's post D-Day so uh, it'll be you know kind of in a, a classic very traditional board you can you, you can usually use most game store type terrain so I'll be able to use terrain that's after the event and I've got about 65 or 66 or some odd American infantry I need and about the same in, in German infantry and a few tanks and whatever to for the event. So lately, putting together, and I can't believe I'm doing it, putting together American infantry right now, even as I speak, to try to have enough guys put together for this event. That's does it make you feel dirty? It does make me feel very dirty. <laughs> and of course, hopefully in the future, I won't have to feel quite so dirty. I think it's not, it's not the feeling dirty. I don't think the Americans are that bad. It's just a... The fact that in the states here, it seems like American players come out of there, coming out of the woodwork. You're always running into two or three players in every group, at least. And they're a bunch. Yeah, cheesy gets. But besides that, I've also been working obviously on the Infinity models. I have a few models I have to finish for Blood and the Sun, so they're nearly finished. I'll actually have a 300 points able to field on the table. Uh, Infinity Force, finally, that's fully fully painted for my Pan Oceana. Then I can stop and work on my combined army stuff uh, and finish and and get that finished because I won't play that until I have it finished and painted. I'll have to uh, I'll have to jump down to Madison sometime and uh, I have an Ariadna Force. There's actually so we speak on Infinity. We actually there is actually a fairly large group that plays uh, eight or ten players on a somewhat are you know they kind of cycle in and out right now at Pegasus Games now on Thursday night. So if you're in the Madison area and you want to play Infinity, uh, that's the place to hook up right now. We are going to be doing a lot more Infinity. In fact, uh, uh, Mary Mayhem, we've we've pretty much announced that there will be a formal ITS tournament at uh, Mary Mayhem this year. So lots of Infinity going on uh, in my hobby as well. That being said, let's go ahead and move on to games. Uh, Probably, let's try to keep this to, obviously, Brian, uh, Stark, Brian, uh, we, we haven't played any games of bolt action, I don't think, recently. We've got to get something going there. Mr. Ward, have you played any bolt action recently? Uh, yeah, I've played, I've played uh, a 1,500 point, uh, well, it was like an Italian, uh, it was the, my British, versus my buddy's SS, and he fielded a Tiger 1, and I was fielding a Churchill 6. And uh, it was very interesting because we don't really play a lot of heavy tanks, and it has uh, confirmed my assumptions that heavy tanks are crap in the game. So. 
Like literally, my my Churchill hit his tiger once, pinned it one time. He never rolled it. He could never make a check with it again. They just kept backing up, and my tank went on a spree of killing bushes and trees and grass. And I I hit nothing with <laughs> it after that. And I'm like, I'm done. So yeah, that was my experience with the heavy tanks. But it was actually really cool. Um, I painted up the forest for my friend, uh, my friend Nate. Uh, they were using M29 camo, and again, I'm probably going to bore your listeners because it's kind of historical stuff, but it's a very weird camouflage. It's kind of like mint green and red and tan, and uh, so I was using that. Uh, I used uh, uh, Warlord Games' is, uh, Grenadier box, and uh, I actually two boxes to assemble all these miniatures, and they have those really cool um, Zeltband covers, and it works perfectly, so you can, you know, that camouflage works perfectly, and... Uh, it, it was a really funny force to see, like, these mint green dudes run across, but they were basically using the same camel the Italians were at that time. So, and then my, then you had my, you know, poop brown British guys running around the field. So, yeah, it was fun. That was a, it was a really fun game. It lasted, I mean, we, we went off six turns, and it was, I think we had a draw, only because I was in the theater selector I cho- we chose. I had to take two inexperienced units, and they didn't do anything for me. So I was kind of handicapped there, but. Yeah, my inexperienced yeah. squad and my Soviets are the best squad I put on the table 99% of the time. Yeah, but that's Soviet. There's Soviet bias there, so. They they all they also, <laughs> since you pay nothing for them, if they happen yeah. to do something, they're usually doing better than what you expected out of them. Yeah, you can kill one guy and be like, woohoo! Hey. Take but sometimes they get. go crazy. You get the regulars out of them and you're like, hey, free 100 point squad. Or 120 point squad, right? Well, they're 100. And, I think they're 108 or 110 or something like that, free as it is with the anti tank grenades and stuff. So you're getting a pretty decent chunk of points at uh, added to your force at smaller point games. Yeah, it's like the only squad I've ever seen actually assault tanks. I mean, even though it's an experience, but with tank grenade, I mean, anti tank grenades, you have the numbers to actually do something with that squad for it versus the tank, whereas. Most of the time, people just choose, you know, and I'm sure you do it. Well, I don't know. You don't do it that much because you have a lot of full squads. But, like, I kind of feel like seven-man squads, six-man squads. And uh, you really can't assault tanks with those at all. So. Yeah, I do it. All my squads are not guys. I mean, I tried anti-tank grenades once. Yeah, I only take the anti-tank grenades on them because it's free. Otherwise, there's so many better uh, anti-tank solutions than trying to marshal my infantry into charging something. Uh, it's and I've never honestly assaulted anything with my inexperienced squad. I uh, that's armor. Actually, I don't think they've ever assaulted anything in their lives. They they know better. <laughs> their purpose is is to uh, just get out there and be shot at. Yeah, or to make it look like you have more infantry than you actually do, kind of do. That is true. They they are very good at deceiving the opponent in numbers, uh, but it also means that the infantry that I do take, I can I can really kit out in, um, in you know bigger squads, um, a little bit bigger squads than other armies do because I have the extra points to put the extra trooper or two in those squads, but also be able to uh, take a little bit better troopers. So I can I can afford to get a few more vets in the list, or I can few, afford to get you know a few more regulars, or maybe a special weapon or another toy or something that other armies can't get. Yeah. So, 
anyways, I think we'll go ahead and start really talking into talking about bolt action itself. Um, so I'd like to kind of hear what makes this game really unique in uh, your opinions. So let's start with you, Mr. Uh, Ward. Let's, uh, what makes bolt action unique in your eyes? Um, it's probably one of the most fair games I've actually played. Like, uh, you know, like there's no, oh, my, my, this one squad is better than this squad. You know, it's basically a rifle's a rifle, a submachine gun's a submachine gun. You know, you have a few things like lunge mines with the Japanese or the Panzerfausts with the Germans. You know, there's some, there's some little, you know, quirky things to the, but all in all, the, the, the game is pretty well balanced. Um, and the dice system of activation is brilliant, in my opinion. I have told so many people that I've actually quit playing Warhammer 40k and gone on the bolt action. I say, I always tell them, take that dice system from bolt action and play 40k with it one time, and it's a very, it's a better game than 40k is now. I mean, obviously, but it's actually a playable game, I think, more so than it is as the actual game. But that, that's in my, that's my, my summary, I guess, so I don't take up too much time. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, Mr. Cuny, what do you think about Bolt Action? What makes it unique in your minds? Anything different uh, on your on your take? Well, I definitely have to give a big vote to the order dice system. Like, I don't know, like Brian said, brilliant. And that's like, what, like, I really had no interest in the historical game of it, but when I actually sat down and played it with those dice, like, it had me hooked instantly, and I thought it was like, the coolest system I've played, really, for a really fun and engaging, like, you're always in it kind of game, and that's definitely the most unique thing about it, and I think you kind of hinted at it earlier, but also, like, the pin system offers kind of a really cool way of controlling the battlefield. I feel like that's something you don't really see in at least a lot of the games that I've played, so that's really unique, being actually able to control units without just wiping them off the board. You can actually kind of knock them out of the game other various ways. Yeah. I always tell people with a pin system especially is like you're creating your own cover with pins versus the squads that are you firing at. So people are always like, don't charge across the middle because it's open ground. If you if you spread some pins into those guys, you can cover that open ground without getting shot. Yeah, totally. All of those kind of things are definitely the things that I find that make bolt action unique. Getting people that are not historical gamers, like getting uh, Brian to, to try the game the first time, was kind of a challenge. But once you get them to try the mechanics, um, the order dice and the pins, it's so much different than any other game that's out there. It really does do so much to change up and balance the game. Uh, all the games tend to be that I've play, I play tend to be very close, either draws or very minor losses. Always end up being kind of a bloody affair. You know, stuff dies very much on both sides, which also makes things really interesting and unique because you're you're definitely having to react to the flux of the game. But it, you have you have the adjust and you have to pay attention pretty much constantly during the game to what's going on because you're constantly adjusting your tactics and your flow based on oh hey I don't know when I'm going to activate, I don't know when that order dice is going to be drawn to give me that activation. And when I get that activation, now I have to kind of do, and my priorities may, may have changed quite a bit from, oh, hey, I needed to go kill that thing, but now it's already activated, so I'd really like to put some pins over there because that unit hasn't activated, and I'd like to maybe make it so that when he tries to activate it, it won't go because it's got too many pins on it and he fails an order uh, command check. 
Yeah, I, those are all things that really make Bolt Action unique and so much of a different game than other uh, war games uh, that are miniature games that have, I've played that are out there, which is a big thing for me these days is the game needs to be cool and unique. Yeah, well, and, and a hobby aspect of it, too, is, uh, like, you could use, like, six colors for your entire army the entire time you're painting your army. You know, it's not like... It, it's very atypical for a game where, you know, if you come from, like, a sci-fi background or something and everything's bright and shiny and everything, in this game it's all mud, muddy tones and olive drabs and middle stone, and, you know, it's just it's funny. Like, I look at my desk here or my painting, and I basically have, like, six pots of the same color, but, like, five of them. <laughs> so, yep. You can really take advantage of blending uh, and, and getting shades going from shade to shade to get your highlights and not having to highlight up to an extreme highlight. It definitely doesn't look right on the historicals. No. I, I was commenting on the last, I think it was the last show, uh, about starting to paint the Infinity figures and being like, woohoo, I'm finally painting something that's got color in it because I've been painting historicals and painting bolt action primarily for so long that it was, okay, well, I've, I'm painting like my 60th or 70th guy or, or 100th guy or, you know, 150th guy and in drab, you know, basic palette colors. And I was like, woohoo, I'm actually painting things in, like, bright blue and red and using these other colors in my paint box that I haven't used in almost a year. Right, yep. So those are, it's actually kind of a thing that's cool about the game, too, is, is it does, especially if you're not a great painter, I find that historical players don't care so much if it's super well over-the-top painted. They just care that it's painted. And you'll see, the. I think the... From my perspective, going in and going to the tournaments and events that I've went to here in the Midwest as a tournament gamer and, and a tournament player, I see a lot of that level of, of appearance and, and painting and stuff like that isn't as important to those players. So you, you, you go in and you, feel, you don't feel overwhelmed if you're, if you're not a great hobbyist or you don't necessarily have the same amount of time as, as uh, the super great, you know, a super great, maybe a near golden demon or golden demon type painter to go in and, and have to try to match that style. So that's, that's kind of cool too and, and not as discouraging for people going in. And of course, if you are one of those guys, then obviously you, you rise to the top and people are, you know, you get a lot more attention by having the cool paint job at the event. So what what challenges kind of going into that, if you're looking at getting into bolt action, what are the challenges really to getting into a bolt action army, starting your first force? Let's kind of assume you, you don't have maybe uh, a historical background. You're looking at this from the outside going, wow, there's so much different stuff. We're talking about SMGs and rifles and these different models of rifles and the historical details. What what's the major challenge? What's the what's the things that you want to do as a new player trying to come into this to get into the game? Watch movies is my biggest thing. You know, I don't care if it's a crappy movie. I don't care. Saving Private Ryan, not a crappy movie, but I'm just saying. But um, kind of you can kind of draw your inspiration from there for so far as color, color schemes or how you how you want your army to be. I mean, everybody watches Band of Brothers and like I want to be the 101st Airborne. I want to be the 82nd Airborne. You know, which is cool, what you can do. You know, you can play it on the game is the game is so well put together that you can put a force of all infantry on the board and face a, an all tank force, you know, like a tank platoon, and actually play it well. I mean it's the game because of dice mechanics and you know, just because of the you no know, tanks, they don't perform they're not 
they're very they're very difficult to use in this game effectively because you know it's it's a crapshoot. Did I take the wrong tank for the wrong the right situation? You know, there's a lot of balance you have to do. Your first thing, don't go out over the don't go over the top. You know, choose a force you like. You know, nationality like play Germans, Americans, whatever. I mean, there's tons of them. I have on my blog. I actually have all of the all of the forces listed out and what all their special rules are, and then like I've taken like excerpts from various uh, forums and stuff and put them in there where people describe their armies and like why do you play Americans? Why do you play Germans? Why do you play Russians and stuff like that? So I have that listed in there too. Um, I can give you the link Ben when we're done here. Um, but yeah, that's what you want to do is you know take inspiration from. Uh, something you like, you know, let's say your, you know, your grandfather or great grandfather was in, you know, he was in the engineering, he was an engineering that happened to be the guys at the, the Battle of the Bulge where the Germans ran into him, you know, that unit, I can't think, I think the 89th, I think that's what they're called, um, or the 86th, anyways, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, if you could have personal backgrounds, you could have, you know, preferences of what you, you know, what you want, you know, and you can do it in this game, like you can make the most outlandish army you want, or you can make it historical. You could, you know, a lot of people, the game is set up that way where you can shoot, pick and choose what you want. And, you know, if you ever, if you're coming from like a Flames of War thing, there are early war, mid war, late war vehicles and uh, equipment and stuff. You can play this game the same way. Or you can mix and choose. Be like, I want an early war, you know, Americans tend to do that. I want an early war uh, M3 um, Stuart, but I want to take late war infantry. You know, and you can do that, which is cool. I mean, it's all up to the player. There's like there's a meta that begins to to form with the players you're playing with, and you guys kind of adapt to each other's style. So, like uh, some some people like the power game, which you, it, you can do that in this game, but it's not to the extent of like any of the other systems like 40k or or Malifaux or any of that kind of stuff. But there are some people that be like, you know, they actually had inexperienced troops, or they actually had like penal troops. I'm gonna take them because I wanna, you know, I wanna be historical, you know. So you can do that kind of stuff. If you're not a good hobbyist, or you're not a good model maker, you're not a good guy. Try to stay with the, the main faction or the nationalities because you're gonna have to do you have to do a lot of research on some of the smaller nations and figure out what their uniforms were, uh, at, you know, all this stuff. I mean, if you like to do that, it's cool, you know. But I mean, that's that's the biggest thing is like I always say, take a take a Take a start. Don't even take. Don't even buy like the starter armies. Just get a box of infantry. Look at the book. Say, hey, I need a second lieutenant and I need two infantry squads. You can easily do that in one box. You, and you'll have guys left over. Play that versus somebody else, or play like you know four five man squads versus your buddy's four five man squads plus his plus their commander or whatever like that. It's a really good cheap way to do it because you can get like Noble Knight Games or ah, can't think of that Yahoo store everybody goes to. But uh, you can get those boxes for like twenty bucks, and, and, and it, it forms the core of your army eventually, anyways. So, and that's what it, that's what it comes down to. Sorry, I was nope. That's a uh, really good actually. Right. I was gonna <laughs> kind of play off of the buying a starter box. So that's exactly how Stark and I got into bolt action. Once I got Stark kind of into that first demo game, and and let's actually play this game. We both basically went out and bought the base. I, I started with Germans, and Brian, you started out with Americans. You know, we got the we got an infantry box, and we started building that. And it was like a couple of five or six man squads and a, and a lieutenant 
playing against each other while we were getting the mechanics down and we had a blast we started playing like started incorporating scenarios we started putting in like some special weapon teams and it kind of got to a point where we were like okay i remember the first time like we both played with snipers or we both played you know you threw a flamethrower on the table the first time against me and it was like oh my god that's so terrible and now it's like okay now i know how tactically how to react and play against it it was so much fun kind of going through that learning process building it up and i'd say once you buy that first box of infantry kind of adding on to what brian was talking about uh mr ward was talking about is that build them it, you know there's so many weapon options and, and you look at like the assembly sprue or the you know the, the little sheet that comes tells you what kind of each gun is uh you're nothing's going to go wrong if you build your first batch of guys as you're learning the rules with basic rifles you're going to if if you grow your army larger, you're going to need basic riflemen. It's just they're the staple of, of the game. They're the state, you know, it's bolt action. The name of the game it says rifle right there. Uh, so if you build you guys with rifles, I think that's a big thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with building a couple of uh, you know, your first ten or fifteen figures with with rifles and get them on the table like that to just try to start learning the mechanics of the game. Not that the mechanics are terribly hard. You'll probably have them down in your first game or two, the basic mechanic. But that'll help you kind of, you know, as you're, you know, okay, now I see what the rifle can do. Let me try an SMG or let me try uh, a medium machine gun or a light machine gun or an assault rifle, whatever those types of guns are that are available to your faction or and, that, and those squads you're building. As you then start building up from those little maybe five or six-man infantry squads and now maybe building them up to eight men or, or adding in or expanding or adding additional, you know, turn, you know, taking those first 10 or 15 infantry and go, okay, I'm going to end up with three infantry squads out of this and they're all going to be armed in these different ways. Uh, that's kind of the, you know, that'll give you an opportunity to really not be bashful or shy. Because I remember going into this not being a historical guy, I looked at all the German weapon options that were on that sprue, and I'm like, I have no idea. And then you go to try to list build and try to put together your first, like, 100, 150-point list, and I'm like, I have no idea how to build these guys. So that's the best comment or, or comment I can say from a, a new player going in. If you're building your models for the first time, that's what to stick with. Uh, yeah, and also remember, there's a lot of nations that don't have submachine guns, that don't have that other weapon. So, you know, your basic rifle is your best bet to learn with, for sure. So, Stark, did you have any, any thoughts uh, that we haven't maybe covered on, on getting in as a new player? Maybe challenges that you had coming in, especially since you, did, you, you really stayed away from watching historical documentaries and stuff like that going in. You were strictly a gameplay kind of guy. Yeah, really done it from a gameplay perspective. Um, I mean, like, as you said, I kind of had you to lead me into it. We split that. I can't remember the name. The ass- Assault of Non-Normandy set. Normandy, yeah. I was day one, which would be a similar thing, but just starting out with that, we split them up. Here, you take the Germans, I have the U.S. So, let's just go ahead and move on into the, the next topic, then. Are tanks as cool as they look? So I know definitely as a draw, as a, a new player, just like my draw was when I looked at 40K, I'm like, ooh, tanks. I get to play with tanks, and they're big toys, and they first thing you learn is they cost a lot of points, and they're pretty easily destroyed and knocked off the table in 40K and in 
you know, there are certain tanks that, like, I think the, I think I got a Predator tank was my first tank in 40k, and quickly, I, like, I strapped a big old last cannon on that thing, and a couple of bolt, heavy bolters, or whatever the heck they're called in that game, and I put them on the, you know, for side sponsors, and I'm like, I built the coolest looking tank, and I learned real quick, I just dropped my $50 on a really cool looking tank, and it was terrible in the game. So, when you're coming into bolt action, obviously, Brian, we've, uh, Mr. Ward, we've, we've heard you kind of Eh, super heavy tanks, not so cool. But are they really as cool as they look? Um, can can you play tanks in bolt action? Uh, which is bolt action really is an infantry based game. It's what it was designed to do originally. Can you bring tanks into this and have a good time and have fun with them? Are are, are there is there the ability to play tanks? If you're playing a tank wars game where it's tanks on tanks, yes, it will work. But again. The point values for some of the tanks that people just well, like the Jag Tiger and the you know uh, King Tigers. I mean, they're, they're like five hundred fifty-five points, you know, just for the Jag for the King Tiger, a regular King Tiger, and 666 points for a veteran version of it. I mean, you're talking. I don't know how big a game you're going to be playing, but like, <laughs> I have a Polish like th- uh, tank list, like my buddy uses, that has three R thirty fives. And they can take out the Tiger King Tiger from the side, you know, and they're like 110 points apiece. So you, you can throw. It's just it's it's a weird game, like because you're fighting a platoon, and platoons aren't really going to be given the armored vehicles, you know. They're not. That's not how the games, or that's not how militaries were set up. But I could see armored fighting vehicles, like uh, infantry fighting vehicles, like half tracks, you know, half tracks with weapons mounted on. You know, the, the littler vehicles you'd probably see, but. In an event game or a tournament setting, you ne- you'll be hard pressed to see anything like larger than a Sherman tank, and the Sherman is probably like the quintessential tank you want as an American because it's it's very versatile. It's it's got uh, the gun has a, a special rule that allows it to fire as a with a, a high explosive rounds equivalent to a light howitzer in the game, which is pretty cool. It's got it's a medium tank gun, so it's got reasonably good uh, penetration value. And it's bristling with guns. You got a coaxial MMG. You got a front-mounted machine gun. You got you can throw slap on a fifty cal or a thirty cal on the roof. So you, and each of those weapon systems can fire at different things. Well, except for the coax has to. It's either the coax fires or the main gun fires. But I would say the armor is armor is fun to have. I mean, I have a ton of tanks. I probably have a hundred tanks out in my garage right now in my shop. But what do I play with the most? Are mostly half tracks and smaller vehicles, so I don't know. No, I, And I can say for my U.S. guys, so obviously I went to Adepticon this year and we played, played in the U.S. Nationals event, and, and in my Soviets list, I actually did take a standard T-34 tank, which is your basic medium tank. It's the Soviet version of basically, if you're not familiar with the historical, it's a Soviet version of, you know, basically equivalent of the uh, American Sherman in, in bolt action. It's roughly the same points cost. People could argue that the T-34 was a lot better historically, I think. And, Much better. You know, in the game, <laughs> game points, I think you get a standard T-34 for a few less points. So then the Sherman, then a, then a fairly decent Sherman that's, that's eked out, you know, when you start buying like the, the some of the extra up to, upgrades that get into it and th- that make the Shermans, uh, a better, a better tank in the game. The T-34, it was so good in every game. And while it wasn't necessarily always knocking out tanks, I don't think I knocked out a tank in the entire tournament. Um, it was 
It was tough to kill. It was always putting pins on things. The ability that it could put pins on multiple targets in, in, in an activation was nice. Uh, it was constantly putting a threat and a pressure on my opponent. And while it was, yes, a significant chunk of my army, um, about a sixth of the points of my army, it was always effective. It was always doing something. And so it made it uh, a good asset on the table uh, to have, I thought, tactically and, uh, and objectively to be able to use. And in, in the worst case, like, even if even if I was like sitting in a game where I wasn't able to uh, use the tank as an anti-armor uh, usage, which was my primary reason for putting it in the, the list, uh, I, I was able to, like, oh, hey, well, now I have this mobile piece of cover that I can drive up here and then let my infantry walk up behind and kind of they can use it as cover while I'm trying to advance on a key position on the battle. So it did, like, what's if the worst-case scenario, my opponent blows it up, blows it up here, well, hey, it's still serving a purpose as mobile cover, and it's a fairly large tank, so it took out, you know, if I needed to move into a lane where I couldn't effectively get cover or I knew it was dangerous because it was an open firing lane, that was always an option for me to use, too. So I was always looking at it like that as a perspective. So armor in bolt action can be good. Um, I know, Stark, you, you don't use armor pretty much at all. You just started kind of getting into vehicles a little bit with the lighter vehicles like uh, Mr. Ward kind of talked about, and you've really stayed away from the heavier armor. You don't you don't play with anything big, and I think for much of the same reasons, isn't that, isn't that right? Uh, yeah, I haven't really scratched it at all. Now that I have my collection where it's at, I'm like considering buying an armored tank of some kind. But yeah, the heaviest armor thing I have is an armor seven with that um, M3 Scout car, and I. Don't think I've even put it on the table as an armored car very often. I usually stood it in for a truck, so that's not even armored at all. So, yeah, I haven't really dabbled in it at all, but I am interested to maybe try something out sometime. But uh, I think you did a really good description on how you use your tank. Like, that's, we obviously have played a lot, so you were really versatile with your tank, and I think one thing you didn't point out is that big piece of metal. And it's very intimidating when it's on the table, and even though maybe that tank can't do that much, like it's always been very distracting for me, and it's like I put a lot of effort into taking it out, even though it might not actually do that much damage to me back. For whatever reason, it always seems like it is a very big threat. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always found that even, no matter who I'm playing, the one thing I don't want to do when I'm playing against an infantry army in bolt action is be overcautious and protective with my with my tank. I'm going to get it up there in the gut, and if they knock it out, so be it. But if they're expending a lot of their turn, a lot of their turn, or a lot of their explosive firepower, and they're laying back and staying off objectives because they're having to try to deal with that tank, and then that tank still ends up as kind of a mobile piece of terrain that got stuck when they do manage to knock it out in there, you know, kind of in the way, that's always worth it. So uh, I've always found tanks to be useful. Um, I've, I've been playing with tanks. I've always put armor on the table since very early in our games because it was very quick that brought you, you outpaced me in getting things assembled as we were learning the game. So then I'm like, oh, crud, I've got to put my medium tank on the table just to make points so we can play the larger games that you wanted to play. And even still, like with my Soviets, I'm putting the 
T34 a lot of times in the list to try to make the points to get to the extra points levels, even though I do have a ton of infantry put together. It's just that extra little bit to get there. A big suggestion for, uh, I don't know, I don't know if Brian's, uh, I don't know if you're playing a historically accurate army or not. I mean, uh, do you? Um, they're relatively late war, but that's about okay. all they got. Okay, because the uh, M3 Lee is probably one of the most gross vehicles that the Americans have. Especially being a later model one that actually, I, no, that one doesn't get gyro stabilized, never mind. But its weapon systems, the way they have them arranged is amazing. And Brian, or, and uh, Ben, you should get a T28. I don't think the T28, the T28 doesn't feel like it fits my theme. I really feel bad about feeling, fielding armor in my, uh, Stalingrad, like December of Stalingrad, uh, Soviet list. It doesn't really fit the theme very well. I think at that point, the Soviets just didn't have tanks in, inside the city itself. So my list is very historical and I'm feeling the T34 mostly just to, most, mostly just to make points, not to, not for any uh, major tactical or, or theme reasons. With that being said, we kind of I think we touched on tanks pretty cool there. I think they are cool in the game. I think you can use them, but you don't, they're definitely not a requirement. And certainly as a new player, if you were new coming into bolt action, I'd probably st- uh, stay away from tanks for your first few games. Any kind of armor or vehicles, really, entirely. Just focus on the infantry rules. Yeah, the, the Americans, I mean... Th- Okay, so just to tell your listeners, if they're not familiar with the uh, how the uh, platoons are assembled, is you have an armored car slot and a tank slot you can fill, but like you don't have to obviously because it's, it's zero to one. The armored car slots, and that's where I think the Germans excel in the game. Is the Germans have a plethora of vehicles to choose from for their armored cars that are somewhat equivalent to tanks, and but are cheaper. And then the the Americans are get shafted. They get oh yeah, you get a and you get an eight or a M20, you know, and there, it, it's, I don't think it's that great of an armored car, per se, but it has recce, so, you know, whatever. Yeah, the <laughs> pretty rough on the armored car front, for sure. I think the white scout car could be taken in the armored car slot if you put recce on it, so that's probably your best. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you don't have a, like the M, is it the M8, or is the M20? What am I thinking of? The the, the, the Greyhound the scout car for the Americans. Yeah, it has a light in a tank on it. Yeah, but that's about all it has on it. It's got that machine gun. You know, you can get... The Germans have things that have, like, six guns on them for armored cars. And, you know, it's just... That was always the Achilles heel of the American list, I always thought, was the armored car selection was pretty horrid. But M3, I mean, the, some of those theater selectors that the M3 uh, white scout car can be used armored car, so you are right there. Uh, definitely vehicles can can be cool. They're obviously nice centerpiece models in anybody's collection, but they're definitely not the focus of what probably, like I said, it's a beginner you're wanting to get into, but they're fun. As you learn more about the game and you get into rules like recce, um, like Brian kind of mentioned there with the, the cars, you, you'll, you'll, you can find that they can be very interesting and they will play a very key role in your battle plan and your strategies in the game. So uh, armor can be cool. Just be real cautious if you're coming into it as a new player uh, when you're playing with armor. Uh, moving on, let's go ahead and, and hit on. Um, so we already know that uh, Bolt Action 2.0 has been announced. Uh, so the second edition of this Bolt Action rules is in the future. 
People right. can be people tended to be as, as a, you announce a new edition, and people know they tend to be stay a little bit away from maybe collecting or starting new armies or starting new games. But uh, first and foremost, Warlord has basically said we're taking to, uh, second edition, and it's basically we're putting all the errata into the second edition book. And then they're taking a lot of the feedback. There's been a huge community feedback about about bolt action and some of the first edition balancing concerns and and things like that. And they're taking a lot of that community feedback into uh, what is going to be the second edition uh, set of the rules. And and as we've seen with Warlord, they not only do they are they really good about taking community feedback on a game and, and incorporating that into the rules, but there are a lot of times there are fan generated army lists or fan generated even books that they have taken and, and published uh, and made available to and made official as official rules because uh, because the, the work that was put into it and oftentimes uh, that work is better than sometimes what they put in you know what are what they've been able to produce themselves in rules. So um, it's really exciting and, and the big thing that to remember is that they're gonna keep all of the books that are out currently, although Germans are going to get their second uh, second army book effectively Shortly after the release of second edition, I'm sure they've already announced that that's coming out. What are our hopes really for the next edition of uh, Bolt Action for you know for what us for what we can see? I know from my own part, I'm going to kind of just jump on. Uh, I really want to see LMGs become effective. I think at least with the current rules as written, the the medium machine gun is. Is still got a place in on the table, and, and you can't take it. And I can say, like in my Soviets, feeling that feeling the maxim, which I did feel like it's paying a few too many points for, but it always serves a purpose. And it's all, every time it activates, it's always putting a pin on something, which is always nice. They have that, like, okay, I'm going to shoot this, and I'm almost guaranteed I'm going to get pins. And you have a gun shield. Yeah, and I have a gun shield, which makes it effective there. The light machine gun. I take the token one in my Soviet list because it's so iconic that to- that light machine gun. But like coming into the game as a German player and going, okay, well these you know Germans are really known for their their light and medium machine gun being the MG42 um, from a historical basis. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'm building uh, building these uh, machine guns and putting them on my list, and then realizing even with the extra German rules for making the those types of guns better, I'm like. I'm paying way too many points for this. I can get better. I, I can just buy rifles, and it's better. So that's a big hope for me is that they adjust the those the the light machine gun rules to make them more effective in game and to make them worth taking in contrast to uh, just normal rifles or other equi- uh, equivalent weapons like assault rifles and uh, the American BAR uh, type guns. Mr. Ward, what, what, what's your baby, your biggest hope for uh, the second edition of the game? Well, I can I can give you a little insight because I know a little information about what's going to be in the second oh. edition. <laughs> um, uh, I'll just go I'll just go down some of the things. The, 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 the main problem you're going to run to with what you're hoping for is they're not going to change their army books, and that's going to be a problem with the fact that the LMG prices are already in the books. So. That's that's understood. I'm just hoping to make them a little more effective. You know, if they were able to, the an LMG shooting three shots is not as for twenty points is not as effective as buying 
two infantrymen. Well, you, so you buy the LMG for 20 points, plus you have to have you have to dedicate another infantryman to be able to fire the LMG. So you effectively got two infantrymen tied up to get three shots, or you buy three rifles for the for the same or less points. Yeah, but then then you, there's right, the one thing rifles. everybody forgets about that is you have a 30 inch range. It's that 30. That 30 inch range is because oh, be, because the uh, of the objectives and all and in most games you're having to move. If you know you're going in and having to play as a defensive player, that range really does come into play, right? Yeah, I'll totally agree. But in both actions, so many of the games you're having to go on the offensive and you have to move on the table and you have to press the objectives. I don't like the fact that I'm paying a 20 point premium when I could take again. I could have. For the same points, I could effectively have four guys on the table uh, for the same points that are all able to shoot and move and do stuff uh, for me. The four wounds is for the cost. And from a gamey perspective, in my opinion, far more effective. Yep, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you, and I think it is. I think all the special weapons, regardless of what they are, should be five points. Just even submachine guns, because they, they're, pretty, they're pretty nasty. I'll talk about your NCO or your leader, your second lieutenant lieutenant, and your officers in second edition are actually going to have abilities now that they can actually, things like they can walk up to a squad and give them a free uh, pin check, like rally check at like full value. So they kind of get like a stubborn rule built onto them, but you have to give them a, a, like you have to give your lieutenant an order to do it. They're going to try to make the officer cores more usable and not just a point sink where you, oh, I get plus one leadership. Whoa. So you're, you're going to see that in the next edition. I don't know if you guys want to respond to that good, bad. No, I, I think, I, I don't know about the about the lieutenants making them that much more effective. I think the lieutenants are pretty effective the way they are. But that's cool. Like giving them a little more of a role on the table is nice. I know that's something that a lot of people have asked for. Uh, the, the taking the bigger officers... Uh, like captains and such. Like I never see. It's so rare that you see anybody ever do that. I think I've played in a game. I think I've played in two games now where I've seen a captain on the table, and that's that's those were odd games. And I definitely had the upper hand. I think tactically and points wise, when my opponent had that on the table because it was it was really just a point sink, and they were filling points because they didn't have models. True enough. I think it'd be pretty cool to have them. Have a little more strong overall because the lieutenant like really means nothing in my army at all. Like especially if you're playing veteran infantry, like it really doesn't change too much. It seems a lot more useful like in your Soviets then. Yeah. Well, I take a lot of inexperienced troops in my in my Soviets or inexperienced or regulars. But even in your Germans, like it was kind of a similar thing to my Americans. Like you just didn't really need that plus one. That like it didn't really matter. But in the Germans, you could outfit it with assault rifles, and then it became like a pretty effective pin maker. Yeah, the the German command squad, three man command squad with all assault rifles, is pretty deadly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I take advantage of that whenever I play a later war army. So, but, I'd like to play a little more of a leadership role in there, and maybe like a little more interesting and effective rather than one guy. But I think that's also like if you talk about it for the current bolt action. In my Soviets, and my Soviets tend to be a, a lower experience army. So the the leader, the plus two 
a morale check that lieutenant is running around and supporting a lot of times those units like okay i need to be over here to make sure that i can get my inexperienced squad to activate and now i'm going to now i need to now i need to make sure that he activates maybe mid-turn so i can move him somewhere else where he's applying that plus two because i always take a first lieutenant in the soviets just because i need that command to ensure that my variety of infantry units that are at a variety of different command levels are able to activate um when i when i'm activating so you know, I, I feel like it, I feel like the current rules. People feel like it is the lieutenant doesn't do a lot, but I don't think a lot of people tend to feel the more inexperienced armies or or field armies that have uh, even a, a majority of regular troops. Uh, even you see a, so much so much of a dependency on bolt action table, particularly in the competitive games, in taking veterans. And yes, I'll totally agree. Once you have veterans. They don't really need that command of the overall commander, and you'd be looking for that commander to do to really just be there, you know, to do more, and he's not doing anything. Yep. Okay, so another thing, and I don't know if this is going to be a controversial thing too, is there's going to be a template of something in the next version as well. And it was actually confirmed by Alessio at a. Uh, a little lot uh, of chatting we had, so there's gonna be. I don't know what it's gonna be for, but they're putting templates in the game, which is kind of scaring me. But I, I think it's gonna be more the way it sounds, the way it was hinted at. It's to be like mortar rounds being fired at a unit that they don't just disappear. So you could have scatter on the table. That's what I think is going on. But you could introduce scatter with that, like. I kind of am for it, then, because it's kind of sad when you're shooting with big explosive rounds. They miss their target. There's six other units near it, and nothing happened kind of thing. It's like, well, how far did they miss kind of thing? So maybe increase the effectiveness a lot, and it'd be kind of cool, but at the same time, it's kind of inconvenient for it. But Well, and mortars and flamethrowers both make sense to me, and I do, like... I have never been one thing you know from a, a historical basis. You're sitting on the table, and I've got four, th- two or three infantry squads. are all clumped up together, and I choose to shoot at one with my mortar. Oh, I didn't roll a six. Well, there's a shell that landed somewhere around there. You know, it should. You know, they they clumped up their infantry. I should have a more likely chance to hit that. I'm shooting in their general direction, right? So, or if, hey, I'm shooting at a huge squad, and they're sprawled out all over the place. It's much more likely that mortar should hit it than just a, a one in six chance uh, the first time I fire at it. So yeah, I think templates are are okay and actually kind of cool. To, you know, in, in certain certain aspects for uh, a bolt action game and a bolt action you know, weapon, the flamethrowers too. I think you know coming from the Warhammer Fantasy side, flamethrowers and having some kind of flame template totally makes sense. Yeah, I'll agree with the flamethrower. Like you should only be able to take casualties of what the flamethrower actually hits. Yep, and it, and I think that makes it more and less effective all at the same time. Right now, it's oh well, if it's within, I roll a random dice and I see if I hit and or I auto hit. And well, now I have to like move and position to get that flamethrower on on models and stuff like that. That seems like a logical and good good change for the game. So I I would totally be for that. All right. Well, I'm just saying there was talk of a template. I'm not sure what it's going to be for or what it's for, but. It did sound like a two-hit thing to me, or a scattered die, the way he was kind of talking about it. But okay, so what other um, good good rumor type stuff do we have? 
Uh, I think they're going to be changing the artillery and air observers a little bit. Oh. And I and I, yeah, no, I think <laughs> all American players cry out in agony now. Well, no, I think I think they're going to go for, and this again, this is, I this is inside information that I just kind of overheard. Like I don't, I never had a. I mean, I was in the conversation with them, but we never asked him questions. He was just talking to us. The He was talking, and it's something I mentioned a long time ago, that in order to get two airstrikes from an American, you should have to buy your air observer as a veteran. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I feel, like and, I feel kind of guilty getting two airstrikes and how effective they are all the time for such a cheap point. But. Okay, but honestly, for all the games you've played, what's the percentage of hit back that you've taken from your own air, your air observer? Very small. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. You probably can count on, what, one hand, how many times you've taken hits? Uh, yeah. I bet I could. Like, I know I remember, like, three times, and I've had to play, like, at least 20 games. You've never rolled it against me. Um, yeah, I don't think I have. I bitterly, the Air Observer's American air observers mentally mess with me. Like they're objective number one because all of because uh, Brian's air observers never miscalculate and they're always just nuking me and wrecking my game. Yeah. See, and Brian plays really. Brian plays a very. If he plays air observers within most of the infantry list, it's perfect because I have the guys I play with. I've seen their tanks shoot down their own planes because. Oh, yeah. <laughs> When your planes come in, everybody that can shoot at it has to make it. Like, if if an Allied plane, like, if your Sherman tank has a 50 kill on top, it's considered a pintle-mounted weapon. You have to make a check for that to not shoot at your own plane. Yeah, I really have to with that at all. Yeah, so I've driven my, like, armored car into a group of guys to try to get the line from the token to that to pass through as many... A guns as I could. Oh, so. yeah, it, it's it, it's totally like when I'm dealing with air observers now, it's totally okay. Well, hopefully he calls it early enough in the turn on something that ha- that hasn't activated, so I can. So I'm like I'm stalling. I'll stall my activations on like his prime air targets, just so that when he finally calls it, I can go okay. That one's running at Brian's line, so that the air. So if it does come next turn, it's coming down near his crap. Or that yep. I can vacate the area around wherever it is that my item is that he's targeted. That, that's how that's how you you negate those, yeah. Okay, so that that's cool. I, I definitely am all for anything that kind of brings air observers into artillery. I have never really had a problem with the artillery observer, but the air observer bringing that more in line with with the game would be awesome. Okay, uh, with the observer, I think you what they're taking into effect with the art observer is. That they're going to put that the lower like uh, experience level guys aren't going to be able to call in the larger arty, so you'd have to take them as a veteran to get the big ones to come in. Oh, that that makes sense. So yeah, that's we were talking, and that's what that and like I said, this isn't one hundred percent official. This is just things I've heard. Some guy. Looking at some rumors on the internet, maybe had a, a little bit of a, a inside line. Sure. Right. No, I, I, I'm actually pretty good friends with a lot of the Warlord staff. Like, I sold stuff. When you were at Adepticon, I was in their booth selling stuff, and 
you know, I mean, they trust me enough with their money, I guess. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is cool. Um, so those are all cool things kind of coming to or, or potentially coming to second edition that I think are good. I think they're good, good moves in the rules. It'll oh, and the German book. Uh, uh, yeah, there's going to be some crying when people see that thing. Uh, That's all I can say. Considering German players have had to suffer pretty much the entirety of bolt action first edition with uh, being kind of the underdogs in and being kind of underpowered in comparison, and they suffering from the first army book syndrome. Uh, I don't yep. know if I if you've been an army a, a German player that whole time. I don't really feel bad for you. I, I you know. Hey. It's time you got a little retribution. Yeah, they're gonna, they're fixing things like uh, the Falschenjäger should have stubborn and uh, stuff like that. Um, but there are going to be some special rules with the Tiger tank. And that if that gets put on the table, it's going to cause fear. So, like, I don't know. This, again, this is stuff I heard. They, they didn't tell me specifics, but there's going to be some... Like, the German... Uh, I think they actually might get discounted LMGs from what I was hearing, too, so... It wouldn't be bad we'll see. to see them be like the first book that actually gets the discounted LMGs, and then as they re-release other books, that they adjust the points cost. That yeah. that would be that would make sense. Like all of a sudden now you got a bunch of German players coming out with with them because they're they're running around with five point LMGs. But well, so here's my and we'll go, we'll go historical nerd here for a second. Is the infantry platoon that the Germans designed were designed around those machine guns. And the fact that people play this game as Germans and don't even have those machine guns in their squads is, is very upsetting to me because I'm a German player and I like the German like I, I I have a ton of Germans I have like a thousand miniatures of them and uh, uh, I'm just I just saddened when I don't see LNGs or even energies I mean they're very they were just they were designed the squads were designed to, to support the guns the guns were the, what was supposed to do the killing the squad was supposed to be protecting the guns yep so. That's cool. That's that's really good to see. Hopefully, that'll be a, a big move in the uh, future of here for bolt action. So, yeah. All right, uh, Stark. You got anything you're hoping? Anything you're hoping for in second edition? Uh, really to see that we haven't talked about or, or that you'd like to see? Man, I'm so happy with the game. Like, I mean, I really haven't thought of anything that really needs to be fixed. I'm pretty excited for a new German book because I kind of have. I don't know, some kind of interest to in them, and I like seeing them, and it's kind of sad how lackluster they are at the moment. So I'm definitely probably more excited than that for that than anything I can think of in the quarter rules. I hope they can do a little more stuff with tanks or something, maybe. Like, if you brought up, is it called Gates of Antares or whatever? Like, yep. a futuristic warlord game where they all have, like, a dice for each of their weapons. Weapon systems, actually. I think that's a really cool mechanic, but they, I'm not sure yeah. how easy it could be to implement in bolt action. Yeah, in, in, in Atari's, a vehicle gets, uh, a larger a larger vehicle gets multiple order dice, so so that it, you know, one of the, like, if it starts taking damage, you start to lose order dice on that vehicle, so it makes makes a little more sense then, and I think it fixes things like, you know, we, t we talked a little bit earlier about the American Sherman, and it gets the fight, okay, it has a 50 cal on top, and it has a, a 30 cal, you know, hull mounted, and it has either the main gun or a 30 cal that it can fire, so it's got MMGs and MMGs and, and HMGs, and it's just firing out all of these shots. Well, if that Sherman only gets two order dice and 
it only gets to fire one weapon size, one weapon system on an order dice activation. It makes it, it, it brings it in line with all the rest of the medium tanks like that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Actually, that's a really good rule. Though. And that's what they did. Is either one to an Italian tank? <laughs> Machine guns everywhere. Well, five it, MMG Italian tanks. It fixes oh, okay. all those early war tanks too, because all of a sudden, hey, I have a slow tank and it gets eight order dice. Well, right. I don't care if it's festooned with five MMGs. If I can only fire, uh, you know, uh, one forward weapon system or one side weapon system or something like that, then with that dice, that tank all of a sudden becomes kind of eh. Are you familiar with the other dice mechanics with that game, too? Uh, a little bit. I want to actually play that game more. I've got the starter box and actually bought a bunch of stuff to add on to the starter box for both the starter hey. factions, so... Yeah, I got, I got a big army of Moral Mites if you ever want to play that. Then. I definitely want to play it. I'll have Concord and uh, whatever the Gar that are with the starter box. So. Right. But there's a there's a dice mechanic in that game, which I think if you introduced the bolt action, would actually be really cool. There's something called Disorder Die. Have you, have you read about that at all? I haven't read through that. We got to that part in the rules. Okay, so basically what you do is you're putting dice in the bag for each one of your units. You put an extra dice in the bag that's a different color, obviously, than your other units. As you're pulling dice out, when you pull that die out, you hold on to it in your hand, the next dice that gets pulled out, that guy has to put one of his units down. Wow, okay. Just, just It's kind of like a chaos, like a little RNG thing in the game. And it, that game is so much fun because of that thing, because all of a sudden you're like... Because all of a sudden you'd be like, you know it, you know, there's only like two dice left in the bag and it's yours and that stupid disorder dice. And you're like, please pull my, please don't let me pull, <laughs> you know, and then, yeah, it's, it's fun. I think it, it adds a little bit of chaos to the game because troops didn't always follow commands to the letter and stuff like that in, in war. So, I don't know. That was just my opinion. Sorry. Just talking about mixing games up. Nope. So, I, I think it'd be cool. So, definitely good points. I think, uh, Cool, cool things we're hoping for in second edition, and the big thing to remember is second edition is not going. If you're looking at getting into bolt action now, it's uh, the best thing I could say about anything that's a this scale or, or historical is that if you like the game, great. If you don't, there are probably a dozen other systems that you can go use the same exact miniatures for. Yeah. Whereas I, I'm sitting on, like, I remember Warhammer Fantasy. I've got. All of those models, ten uh, thousands of models sitting in my basement for Warhammer Fantasy. Um, at one point, I had almost every single faction for the game. And yeah, there's Ninth Age out there, and sure, there's Age of Sigmar out there, and and sure, there's uh, Kings of War out there. But I'm never going to get the the real reuse out of all of those figures that I that I got for the last ten or fifteen years. I don't think it's a bad investment, but if you're looking for that investment in something. You know, if if with the historicals, you have so many game systems out there, you will find, if Bolt Action's not the game, you'll find a game that you'll like using your World War II miniatures in. Yeah, Chain yeah. of Command is a really good one for that as well. If, it's another rule set that if you... Bolt Action is like a historical-themed, like, action game, I would call it. If you start getting the Chain of Command, you start getting a little more nitty-gritty with, like, statistics and... Like, this gun can do this and stuff, but the command system is very similar to bolt action. And then, then you can start getting into, you can delve deeper into games, which are highly realistic. So, this gun can't penetrate this tank at all, so you don't have to worry about it, you know. But that gets kind of nitpicky after a while. That's why I like bolt action, because it's so simplistic in how you play it. Yep, totally. So, I think that's 
gonna get us to to kind of where we wanted to wrap up today. So I want to say first off, thanks Brian for coming on the show and talking bolt action with us and no getting into. Yeah, I think we got into a lot more of the the interesting stuff of bolt action, and you know, there's a lot of good content there for not only the beginner player, but also <laughs> also the the players that are into the game more. Uh, that have been playing for a while. So a, a good range of content for beginners and, and experts and, and players that have been playing, you know, a long time. Uh, we're going to, in the future here, you know, uh, Stark and myself, we're, we're really into uh, bolt action for us. It's kind of our prime, or at least for me, it's my primary game. I'm not trying to speak for you, Brian, these days. I'm not sure what you're, what you'd consider your primary game. Um, but, uh, We'll have, we'll have a lot more content coming on to this show for Bolt Action, and I would fully expect to see um, a lot more kind of cross-podcastination between us and Northern Front even. I'm kind of hoping anyways. Um, That's fine. I've been on there. I've been on there before. I've been on at least once to talk about Adepticon, so hey, uh, there's that. So go back and make sure you at least listen to that show. It's actually part two of episode four, I believe. So it's just the it's just the interviews. If you just want to listen to the interview and not the rest of the crap. <laughs> uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, today I think we've we've really talked on bolt action, what the game is, what's unique about it, what makes it cool. Obviously, our passion. I think you y'all heard about what our passion was about the game, the things we really like, and the things we hope to see in the future and the updated version of the game. Um, we kind of caught up on where we've been at, particularly on the bolt action side of things, um, but all of our hobby stuff we've been working on, which is cool. And uh, heck, we even threw in a little Antares talk there too, so that's always good. So uh, make sure you know check out the game. Go to you know the Warlord Games website. You can, you can get more information. There's a lot of YouTube videos. Um, definitely one of the best things and one of my favorite things about this game is Alessio Cavatori wrote the game originally and you get to go on YouTube and see Alessio actually play the game which is amazing like I all years watching him in Games Workshop writing rules and you knew that Alessio was writing the rules because his name was in the books and he was writing cool rules for the game you'd never get him you'd never see him play the game you that games workshop never promoted a designer like that and warlord does and it's so awesome to see the designer play the game and you get his take really on the game i feel like, like i've actually talked to him one on one and he is the most enthusiastic player person i've ever talked to about his gaming systems like he did not so much like he really promotes uh 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 what the? What's his studio now? Uh, I don't One remember. The, they like produce Labyrinth, the video, the board game. Dark Horse or something, maybe I don't know. I yeah, don't. but he's very like he's very passionate about gaming, and he's and he's just he's so excited when he's when you're talking to him. It's just like you could be you could have the lousiest day and just talk to Alessio, and he just makes you feel good about yourself. River Horse, that's that's the his yeah. studio. Yep. Yeah, River Horse Games. So, yeah, so like I said, Alessio, Alessio is a really big part of this game, and he does play, like Brian, or Ben said, he does play the game, and he's very passionate about the game, and he's, he's more than willing to listen to anybody talk about it. Like, if you have any suggestions, he'll actually, if he has time, if you ever see him at, like, uh, an event, he will talk to you 
about it, and you will probably get your ear talked off because he will keep talking to you about it. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. So yeah, just all of that the whole the whole company, like I said, it's very fan friendly. They they take your feedback. They like they uh, really work with the community. You see a lot of community involvement back into the game as well because of that. So it's a really cool game game system. Again. Thanks, thanks, uh, Ryan, for jumping on the show and being part of it. We really appreciate it. We hope to have you on in the future, maybe some of your other Northern Front buddies as well. And then we'll go ahead and just wrap this thing up. If the, anybody has any closing thoughts, we'll go ahead and hit them now. We're available. Uh, our Facebook page is Northern Front, Northern Front Podcast. Uh, and there's also there are two Bolt Action pages, if you're interested, uh, for Facebook pages. There's regular Bolt Action, and that's an open group. So anything you post on there, we'll post your link. And then we also made a Bolt Action International group, which is a closed group. So anything you post in there, you won't expose to your friends, families, and they won't think you're a huge nerd. <laughs> yep, that's we we just moved the Wisco Dice group to being a closed group, so we totally understand. But that, but that is that, Ben Brian. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm sorry I talked to you off and bored some of your listeners with my historical uh, yeah, okay. jumbo jumbo. Stark, you had a closing thought. Uh, I- Chime in while he was talking about like the Facebook page. If you're in the Midwestern area, like northern Wisconsin, well, northern Illinois and Wisconsin, we have our Facebook page. If you're looking for uh, some bolt action action, or if you're at uh, what Blood in the Sun you're going to this weekend, yeah. check out your page you have going. Where's yeah. that at again? I'm sorry. So, uh, Blood in the Sun is located in Northbrook, Illinois. Okay. It's at the Crown Plaza Hotel. It's actually at the uh, same hotel that. Uh, what is it? Operation Sting is at in the fall. So if you're a bolt gotcha. action guy, you, you 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 and you're in the Midwest, you probably already know about that uh, tournament. Or if you don't, you know you know, hopefully you know know about it. So yeah, it's a, it's like I said, it's historically been a warmer fantasy event this year. They've opened up a lot more systems, and I'm trying to get some bolt action attention there to try to hopefully draw some new players into the into the game and have a good time while we're at it. So anyways, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure that uh, you check us out on iTunes, BlackBerry Podcast, Stitcher Smart Radio. We're going to get up on the Google Play here pretty soon as well now that they're accepting podcasts. Uh, make sure you check out our website at wiscodice.com. Uh, Stark, what was that website? It was wiscodice.com. Yeah, wiscodice.com. You can go ahead and check out the website and everything we've got there, uh, all the blog posts that are coming out, especially this time of the year. We tend to ramp up and get more blog posts up there about all sorts of good stuff, whether it's how to weather a Sherman tank, uh, whether it's how to what to buy next after you bought the Sultan uh, of Normandy, or whatever it might be that you're into, or the other games that we're, we're posting about on that site as well. Make sure you can check us out also on Facebook. We mentioned a lot about Facebook. So we do have a Wisco Dice uh, fan page as well as a Wisco Dice closed group. So you can talk all about Wisco Dice on those. Follow us on Twitter at uh, myself at or myself at Dugan Brightax, or you can follow the podcast at Wisco Dice. And of course, uh, we all are also found on uh, Google Plus. So if you're looking for us on any of those social media fronts, Make sure you hit us up. That's the best way you can interact with the with the uh, show and the hosts. With that being said, thanks everybody for listening. Peace out. Later.